Thank you, Lord, for this time that we have together this afternoon to talk about gaining decisions in Bible studies. And I ask, Lord, that you would bless this um, session and that the information that we go over today would really be helpful as we're working with a soul that we want to see in the kingdom of heaven. Give us wisdom, Lord, to know how to reach people for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so what is our goal, our ultimate goal in giving Bible studies? Um, it's the Great Commission, which we find in Matthew 28, 18 to 19. So we just, this is a familiar passage. You all know this one. Go, therefore, and teach all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things, whatever I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. So this is um, the goal of our Bible studies is to teach them. That word also means disciple them. Um, teaching them to observe all things that the Lord has taught and leading to baptism, which is the culmination of many little decisions they've been making along the way. This is what we are um, aiming for. Now, the harvest phase is where an individual is putting their beliefs into action and taking up the cross to follow Jesus fully. Because this is our goal, we have to constantly be praying for the right words to invite our interest to make those decisions for Christ. One of the most challenging parts of soul winning ministry is getting people to make decisions. And this is um, because, truthfully, a, lot, a big portion of this is the work of the Holy Spirit on a person's heart. But if we know how to persuade and how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit who is working on their hearts, we're more likely to gain a decision. And you were just mentioning um, J.L. Schuler a little bit ago, and he tells um, a story about Henry Ford. And of course, Henry Ford, well known here in Michigan, um, invented the automobile. And this was a story about when he was taking a trip through Europe. And they came across King Francis Joseph II of Austria. And he was vacationing in England, and his Model T was broken down on the side of the road. And Henry Ford just happened to be coming down and saw a broken down Model T, and he thought, well, now I know all about this vehicle. <laughs> so he stops, and he asks if he can help. And, of course, Henry um, didn't mention who he was, and the king, King Francis Joseph, didn't recognize him. He didn't know who Henry Ford was. So he opens up the hood, and he has um, them crank it a certain way, and he's listening. Yeah, you can tell something's wrong with the engine. And, and he gets a hammer, and he taps right here, and he taps right there. And the car starts running just perfect, just like that. So the king was very happy. He says, how much do I owe you? And, and Henry Ford said, 100 silver shillings. And the king said, 100 silver shillings for two minutes of work? He no, said, no, two silver shillings for two minutes of work and 98 for knowing just where to hit. <laughs> and that's a lot of where it comes to, when it comes to um, gaining decisions, a lot of it is knowing just where to hit. You know, where, um, what to say for that individual to help them come across the line. So, 
it's kind of really a science and you learn more about it the more you do it. Um, but a lot of times we don't learn much about that science, so we don't even know where to begin. So hopefully this class is going to give you some um, help in getting started. Decisions is persuading people for Christ. The soul winner must know the human mind, how people think, why they act, and the skills necessary to know just where to hit. Our goal is to learn how to help people decide for Jesus and the truths that are going to prepare them for his coming. And our role is to cooperate with the Holy Spirit who brings conviction. Because we can't bring conviction. That's something the Spirit has to do. Our role is just to cooperate with what the Spirit is already doing in their heart. And thankfully, Jesus has promised us in Matthew 4.19 that it, he said, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And I claim this promise because he's going to teach us how to actually catch those men and fish for those men as we are studying his methods. So the first thing in gaining decisions is studying how the human mind works, how the human mind makes decisions. Ellen White says in Testimonies, Volume 4, page 67, in order to lead souls to Jesus, there has to be a study of the human mind. Okay, And we're now going to look at some things that the human mind does when it comes to a decision, so we can know how to lead other people to a decision. So there are four levels in a process of making a decision, and these are the same levels everybody goes through with whatever decision you're making about anything. The first level is information. An individual must accumulate facts regarding the decision. So let's use an illustration, okay? You decide you need to buy a new car, okay? So what things are you going to do if you need to, are thinking about buying a new car? What would be some of the first steps you would take? Anyone bought a car? Okay, so you're looking like um, what kind of car would best meet my needs for my family? Maybe gas mileage is really important because you have a commute and you want to make sure you're going to, have a car that's uh, very economical, or you have a growing family, you need a car that's, that's bigger <laughs> for your family. Okay, what other things might you do when you're trying to get information about making a big decision like buying a car? Yes? You would look at some reports, yeah. What, how does this vehicle um, rate in a crash test? Or how does this vehicle compare to you know, if I'm thinking maybe I want to get a Honda, or maybe I want to get a Toyota, or maybe I want to get, you know, how do these cars compare? Um, so reading some reports. What are some other things you might do? Ask somebody who maybe has a kind of car that you're considering getting. How do you like your car? How does it, um, what problems have you had with your car? Um, usually f families have certain cars that they like, and they, everyone in the family has gone through all those <laughs> vehicles. Our family was always Nissans and Subarus, so we kind of had quite a few both. Um, so talking to individuals, you're collecting information at this point, all the information you can get. And you really want to collect information before you go to the lot, because once you get there, what are they going to start trying to do? Persuade you <laughs> to buy. And if you don't know a lot, then you're not coming in informed enough to make a decision. You might get persuaded to buy something that you'll end up later wishing you hadn't bought. 
So you're talking to people, you're reading a lot, you're looking at the um, advantages and disadvantages, you're collecting all the information and facts that you possibly can in order to make an intelligent decision. Now information, right decisions aren't made in life unless an individual has right information. So if you're well informed, you're, better, you're gonna make better choices than if you're not informed. And in the soul winning process, the information level is where an individual is hearing the message presented from the Bible study or from the evangelistic meeting or the public preaching. And it often takes a person several times hearing it before they have adequate information to make a decision. Think about somebody who's never ever heard that the Sabbath is Saturday, okay? And so it's the first time they're ever hearing this. They're like, never noticed it in their Bible before, never ever heard of somebody keeping it, you know? So the first time they're hearing this presentation, is that person at the end of that presentation or that Bible study ready at that point to just start keeping the Sabbath? Not likely, not likely, because at this point it's like, wow, this is so brand new. This is so different from anything I've ever known, understood all my life. I've been worshiping on Sunday. Everybody I know goes to church on Sunday. You know, this is very different, you know. And so they've got lots of questions in their mind, and they need more information before they're going to be ready to make a decision about that. So that's why many times in a set of Bible studies and even in a series of public meetings, you cover topics several times. So the Sabbath presentation might be introduced um, first as like, what day is the Sabbath? And you have one that's like on the change of the Sabbath. And later on, you're coming up, you're going through the Antichrist power and he changes times and laws and he's changing the Sabbath. And then you cover the mark of the beast. And they're getting it kind of like four times before you're really um, calling for some strong decisions on that because they need more information. And even after going through all of that, sometimes they're still not quite ready because they don't have enough information yet. So some questions you want to ask yourself is, does this individual have adequate information to make a decision? And is the individual intelligently informed regarding the decision I'm asking him or her to make? So using the Sabbath example, what is some of the information a person would need to know or understand in order to really be ready to make a commitment to start keeping the Sabbath? Well, they would have to understand what day is the Sabbath. They, there's understand about when the Sabbath begins and when it ends, um, how the Sabbath is to be kept, why is the Sabbath important. These are all information that they will um, need to be learning. Now, here's a really important point. To call for a decision before there's adequate information creates barriers in the human mind. I want to give you an example of this. I was visiting a Bible worker who was fairly new at Bible work. And I went to spend a day with her, and we, I said, okay, I'm just going to go along with you. We're going to go to your Bible studies, and I'm just going to kind of sit in and observe and that sort of thing. So we're sitting in this home. This is a lady and her husband that she was dropping off lessons to and then reviewing the lessons that they had filled out. I think they were going through the Amazing Facts booklets. So the lesson was on the Sabbath topic. 
Now in this lesson, there was like a little quiz sheet at the back, you know, the little check boxes, multiple choice, whatever. So she's going through the answers and the lady is missing some of the questions, like she doesn't have the right answers, okay? So already, in my mind, I'm saying she didn't understand it. Either she went through the lesson too quickly um, and she wasn't paying attention or she just guessed what the answers were and didn't really read it thoroughly, but her answers were not correct. So she hadn't understood really the information there, okay? So that's my, my first thing I'm noticing. Then, um, as the Bible worker is now helping her to understand what the correct answers are, she's starting to throw out some objections like, well, it doesn't really matter what day we go to church on, you know, as long as we're going to church one day, you know. So she's kind of throwing out some of these, um, well, Sunday's our Sabbath, she says, you know. She's starting to get a tiny bit defensive, okay. Um, and I can, I'm, I'm noticing that it's because she's not really understanding it, and so this is how she's just kind of reacting. So at the end of the Bible study, I'm, I'm interested to know what the Bible worker is going to do at this point. And at the end of the Bible study, I started to cringe because she starts making a very strong appeal to start keeping Sabbath and to come to church that coming Saturday at the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Now, how do you think this couple responded? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. They just like, it was opposition. And, and, and honestly, that probably was going to be one of those last Bible studies they would end up having <laughs> because they did not have enough information to be asked to make that kind of a decision. Now, that kind of decision needs to be made, but it was not the right time to call them to make that kind of decision because they needed to go over this again, you know? So if a person, you can tell, doesn't have enough information, you need to either do another Bible study with them or give them some something supplementary to read. I always like to keep some extra literature with me, like a magazine or another study guide or something that I could give them to give them a little bit more information. Because the more times they read about it, the more times they hear about it, the more times they study it, now they're starting to understand it. And then you can make a, um, a decision. Where is a good place to start uh, the Bible to find out what their interests are? Well, I would, a lot of the Bible lessons all kind of start about on the same topics. Um, they'll either start with a lesson on the authentic authenticity of the Word of God, why we can trust the Word of God, something about how we're living in the last days, Daniel 2 or the second coming. Um, and then they usually go into um, salvation and the Christian life and then kind of move from there and toward the law of the Sabbath, you know, a little bit farther down. So almost every set of Bible lessons has a similar progression like that. And even if you say to yourself, well, this person probably already knows some of this stuff, it's still good to kind of go over it again. Because if you meet with them then for several weeks, and even if you're reviewing things that they already agree with, you're building a relationship during those weeks. And that's really important because when you get to that topic a little bit later, that is going to be maybe a little bit more sensitive you have now built enough of a relationship and friendship and trust that you're now able to approach that topic without them getting so maybe defensive or they would now feel comfortable asking questions and 
and it just builds a better experience. So it doesn't hurt to um, review some things that they might already believe and understand. Does that answer your question a little bit? Okay, good. So information is needed. So what are some questions you could ask regarding um, you, questions you could ask to help you know whether this person has enough information. Does this individual have adequate information to make a decision? Does this individual have lots of questions related to the subject? Or have I been able to satisfactorily answer them for him or her? Is the subject clear to this individual? These are questions you need to ask yourself. If this person is still asking a lot of questions, then it means that they don't have enough information yet. Okay, um, if they act confused about it, they don't have enough information yet, okay? So how can you discern if they have adequate information? Well, if they're not asking you questions, you ask them questions, okay? So at the conclusion of each Bible study, ask some questions that are going to help you know if they understood it. So a question you could ask is, so what did you think about what we learned in our study today? Do you have any questions about, was it new to you? Do you have any questions that came to your mind based on what we studied today? And if they do have questions, this is now giving them an invitation to ask those questions. And they may say, no, it, it made sense. I, I can see that. If there was something that was they didn't understand, now they can have voiced that. And you can answer that. And this is important before you're asking them to make a decision about that topic. For them to be able to ask those questions and get that stuff cleared off. Because if it's not clear to them, they will not make a decision. Okay, So make, get that in your head right now. It has to be clear. It has, they have to have enough information that makes, that makes sense before they'll make a decision. So regarding using our illustration of the Sabbath, here's a couple questions you could ask. So is it clear to you that Sabbath is on Saturday, the seventh day of the week? Is that clear to you from what we've looked here in the Bible? Okay, and they're going to say yes, or they're going to say no, or they're going to ask you a question. Um, or you could phrase it a different way. Mary, according to the Bible, which day of the week is the Sabbath? These are questions that are diagnostic questions that's helping you to know, do they have enough information? Do they understand the material? Some other questions you could ask is, so when was the Sabbath given? Is the Sabbath just for Jews? Um, what day did the New Testament Christians worship on? Okay. Will the Sabbath be in heaven? Some of, these are just all questions that are helping you to better understand their understanding. Now, in an evangelistic meeting, when people have heard the Sabbath presentation, this is a question I often like to go up. So you have that couple who've been coming to your meetings, you're just kind of getting to know them, and um, they've just you just covered the Sabbath presentation maybe the night before, okay? And they're back the next night. So I'd go up to them and say, hey, how are you guys doing tonight? So glad you're here, and how you've been enjoying the meetings. And, and then I'd ask this question. So last night, the speaker talked about um, the Sabbath. Have you guys ever heard about the Sabbath before? Or was that the first time you've heard about it? This is a question that's helping me to understand how much they understood. And they may say, yeah, we've, we've looked at that before, or that's familiar to us, or we, we have some Adventist friends, so this is something we've known about, or no, that, that was new, we never had ever heard that before. And 
then you could say, you know, do you have any questions on this topic? And just seeing what do they think about it and what do they know and understand about it. Do you have any questions about the Bible Sabbath or is the Sabbath clear to you? That's more of an understanding type of question. And this next one's more of a commitment kind of question. Have you yet begun to think about keeping the Bible Sabbath? And I like that question a lot because now it's, it takes it from, a, well, you know, I understand it to, am I going to do anything about this? <laughs> yeah. So this is a good question for um, people who are coming to your meetings or to your church. Um, do you have any questions? Is it clear to you? And have you thought about keeping it? It is important, and this is from Persuasion, and Persuasion is a book I am pulling a lot of material from, written by Mark Finley, and um, it's out of print, but I guess you can get electronic copies of it. Um, so talk to me about that. But Persuasion, page 21, says, it's important to emphasize here that the questions must not be of a threatening nature. The idea is not to intimidate, but to discover the person's understanding and views of the material presented. So they're, notice that, their understanding and their views of it. You just want to know what they're thinking related to it. Also, emotional questions requiring vague answers such as, isn't the Sabbath truth wonderful, ought to be avoided. This type of questioning only results in a defensive response or a passive nod of assent. So don't ask that kind of a question. You want to ask a question that lets you know what they think what they understand, or what they don't understand, so that you can provide the right information. So asking questions and answering questions. Going from the same book, Persuasion, the human mind is so constructed that if even one minor point cannot be reconciled with existing ideas, Confidence is destroyed in the carrier of the information. So let's just um, think about that for a moment. If they've heard something and it disagrees with everything they've ever understood, there's this little bit of dissidence that's going on in their mind, right? And they can't seem to reconcile these two things together, okay? If unanswered, questions will begin to accumulate in their mind and individuals may lose interest in a Bible study or evangelistic series, sealing themselves off from the person who's presenting those conflicting ideas. Therefore, it's absolutely vital to deal with each issue as it arrives, regardless of its apparent insignificance. Okay, so think of it like this. You're hearing something. Oh, I wish I could think of the example that this just happened in our Unlock Revelation series. And I'm trying to remember exactly what the person's concern was. Um, okay, it was a presentation on Revelation's Four Horsemen, I think it was. And um, so afterwards, I'm talking with one of our guests who's been coming very consistently. And I asked her, you know, how, are you, how did you enjoy the meeting today? And um, what did you think of what he talked about? And um, did you have any questions about anything you heard? And, and she said, oh... And then she had this puzzle look on her. She said, like, yeah, he said something that really bothered me. And I was like, oh, really? What was that? And she said, and it had to do with she understood him as saying that um, it had something to do with the persecution in the early church and, 
she totally misunderstood what he said and thought he said something totally different. <laughs> and and I, ha I was able very quickly to say, oh, that's not what he was actually saying and, and to correct it for her. And, and how she, um, when she understood what he meant to say or what he did say, but not what she understood, she realized that she actually agreed with exactly what he had said, okay? But this bothered her, you know? And if she had left with that on her mind, as it says, if that um, conflicting thought or, or question is in their mind and it's not cleared up, then it continues to add with other things. So the next night they come and then they're really bothered about this. You know, now they're like, well, he did, I don't agree with him on that, and I don't agree with him on that, and that, and that, and that, and that. And they've created this whole thing. They're like, I'm not going to those meetings anymore, <laughs> you know? But if you can visit with people along the way, if you can ask questions along the way, and clear up stuff along the way, then they're not piling up this list of things that is creating a barrier for them. Does that make sense? Yes, they can't. I know. For us, when we were first, you know, learning all of this, mm -hmm. there's one point, and you don't hear anything else. Yeah, your mind shuts down right there. It shuts down, and you hear nothing else because you're just, wait a minute, is that what he said? That doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because you, because mm -hmm. especially the, the evangelistic series, it's just night after night after night. Uh -huh. It's like, a, you know, drinking through, like, Pastor Howard said, a fire hose. That's right. <laughs> you, know, you just can't take it in. That's right. So one thing gets hung up on and... Your mind shuts down at that point. That's where people lose That's where you lose people. And that's why, especially in evangelistic means, it's important to have, like, a way for people to turn in questions so that they can submit questions that they're having. So that thing that's hanging them up or that they're bothered with or I don't agree with that you know they can submit that they can kind of vent some of that frustration or confusion um, and then you can address it and talk with them about it and help them get through it. and they're like oh okay now I see it that makes sense and now you can move forward now the challenge with evangelistic means is you don't have lots of time in <laughs> between each session so sometimes they're getting boom 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 and it's a lot at a time um, and that's why visitation is really important in a series of meetings. In a Bible study, it's spread out a little bit more, so it's easier to be able to answer those questions. So in every Bible study, you could just stop and say, does that make sense to you? Do you have any questions about that? And if they don't, you're moving on. If they're like, yeah, well, I'm confused about this, you know, then you can like ex explain it a different way. Maybe you just rephrase it in a way that they can now understand. So this is um, a really important point. Now, if a person is not voicing any questions, ask them if they have questions. If they don't have any and they're giving you satisfactory answers to the questions you're asking them, you can assume that they have adequate information to move forward. But if they're not answering or asking questions, it could be that they're just not feeling any conviction. They're not feeling, they're really not into it. And I've had some Bible studies like that where they just never asked a question. They never, they don't really answer questions that much. They're just like sitting there. <laughs> and you're like, is it getting in? Are they getting it? You know, I'm like asking questions. So do you understand it? Uh-huh. And like, and, and I'm wondering if they're really getting it. And if they, I mean, sometimes they're just, quiet thinkers and they are getting it and later on you know they're making decisions but sometimes you just find that they're just not 
So we've talked about asking questions, answering questions. The third one is the clear set principle, which we actually introduced yesterday in giving Bible studies. And basically what this is, is it's, it says that the clear set principle teaches that only as new truths are clarified and confirmed in the mind of the listener can further truth be received and accepted. So basically it's just asking a question that says, is it clear? Is it clear to you that when Jesus comes, everyone is going to see him? That would be like a study on, this, on um, the second coming. Or is it clear to you that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and it's not to be defiled with unclean foods or narcotics? These are questions you would ask at the end of your Bible study to make sure, was it clear? And if it's not clear, they can voice that and you can make it clear. Um, so I often use a clear, is it clear kind of question at my Bible studies. So just a little summary, you have this little um, card I gave you. Um, I actually have a card just like this I keep in my Bible and take with me. And I've just put on there on the top information. Do they have adequate information to make a decision? Do any questions on this topic come to your mind? Is it clear to you? Or according to the Bible, what or how or when you can use that to phrase whatever question you want to ask. It's going to help you know do they understand this topic? Okay, so these are questions that help you to know, do they have enough information? The next level in gain decision is then conviction. Conviction is when an individual begins to sense what is right and what ought to be done. An individual's conscience suggests, this is what I believe God wants me to do. This is what I believe is God's will. And if I don't do it, I'm going to be outside of God's will. That's conviction. When you get the sense that this is what God wants me to do, and if I don't do that, I'm not going to be inside God's will. Okay? So it's, a, it's another level beyond just information, knowledge, feeling conviction. I have a Bible study right now that I honestly have been struggling with for a little while because she loves information but there's very little conviction. And when she does feel conviction, she tries to run from it. <laughs> and I think that she tries to stay safe by just getting more and more information. But the Bible speaks about this, doesn't it? It talks about you always learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. <laughs> or people, some people just want to learn, learn, learn. They're, they're Bible study or seminar junkies. They just want to come and keep hearing, keep hearing, keep hearing. And they're not yet ready to actually make any decisions on anything. And you almost have to. We have a, a gentleman in our church who's been coming, well, I think, well, he was coming before we even came there. So it's been a couple years. Um, and he's been through a couple meetings. And he like, comes to the Adventist church, and then he goes on Sunday to his church. Yeah. <laughs> and so... Well, we've been talking. We got it. When we get back from Cami, we need to sit down and say, "Okay, so where do you stand with this stuff? What do you feel about this? You know, what are you going to do about this? Because it's one thing to keep learning, but what are you going to do about all this information that you have been learning and helping to bring conviction?" So, when a person is under conviction, on the positive side, there's a deepening sense of rightness by taking an appropriate action. And on the negative side, there's a deepening sense of guilt by not taking that action. So 
on the one side, they feel, oh, this is the right thing to do. This is what I'm supposed to do. And then they feel a sense of like guilt if they know they're not doing that. So let's say they're working on Sabbath, okay? Um, we have a, a gentleman who's been coming to our, came to our Unlock Revelation series. He's coming to the Daniel class. He's been asking questions lately like, so what do you do if your job is asking you to actually work on Sabbath and you've got some financial struggles that you really have to pay? And, you know, he, his question is indicating conviction, right? Because his, his question means that he, he knows what he ought to do, and he's kind of feeling guilty that he's working on Sabbath, so he's under conviction. So at this point, it's helping him to work through that conviction, which is what we're, I'm going to be talking about here. How can you know when a person is under conviction? You have to first know how the process of conviction works. So let's look here at what Jesus said in John chapter 3. The wind blows where it lists, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell whence it comes and whither it goes. So is everyone that's born of the Spirit. So here Jesus is comparing the Holy Spirit to the wind. You can't see wind. You can't see the Holy Spirit. Okay? So he's saying the wind is like the Holy Spirit. As the wind moves in its force on lofty trees and brings them down, so the Holy Spirit can work on human hearts, and no finite man can circumscribe this work of God. That's Evangelism 2.88. So in the Bible, um, the tr a tree is a symbol for a person. So you can't see wind, but you can see winds blowing the trees, right? You can't see the Holy Spirit, but you can see what's blowing in a person's heart, right? You can see movement. So that's how you know the wind is blowing. You see movement, okay? So when you see movement in their life, in their heart, that's indicating the Spirit is working on them. Like the wind which is invisible, yet the effects of which are plainly seen and felt, is the Spirit of God in its work on the human heart. That regenerating power which no human eye can see begets a new life in the soul and creates a new being in the image of God. Faith I Live By, by page 55. So asking yourself, is there movement? If the tree is moving, the wind is blowing. If the tree is not moving, the wind's not blowing. So they're not feeling any conviction. And maybe it's, we need to be praying and agonizing with God because, um, Sometimes it might be our own spiritual condition might be affecting the other person. Sometimes obstacles the devil's put in their path. Um, we may need to pray for more angels to be bringing conviction, but we're looking for that movement. Now, conviction, to recognize conviction in others, you really have to have had conviction yourself. And I imagine everybody in this room has felt convicted at one time about something, right? You wouldn't be here if you hadn't felt conviction, right? So you have to be personally acquainted with it. When you're feeling convicted about something, how does it feel? Is it usually a pleasant experience? It's an uncomfortable experience, isn't it? It makes you feel like bad inside. You might feel... Um, really depressed, you might feel kind of miserable. Now that's conviction usually about um, sins in our life, right? Things that we're doing wrong. Um, if you want to see conviction, just look at kids who are caught doing something wrong, right? <laughs> and they, they do have conviction, right? That's why they try to like hide when they're doing something bad, you know, because they're feeling conviction. Um, 
So we have to recognize conviction in our own life. Now, what happens when you yield to conviction? How does it feel then? It feels peaceful, doesn't it? You have this like sense of joy. Um, you heard Doug Batchelor's presentation about ice cream, right? That was a great sermon about conviction, right? <laughs> Feeling conviction, trying to make excuses, trying to avoid things so that you don't have to face this conviction and hiding it. And, and then that sense of peace when you gain victory and surrender to the Lord and now um, don't feel guilt anymore. So what are some of the indicators that a person is under conviction? Let's look at a little list. And you can read more about this um, in Gaining Decisions for Christ by Louis Torres. He's been speaking here at camp meeting. He has a really good book um, dealing a lot with this whole concept of conviction. Um, but he gives a list of positive indicators and negative indicators. So looking at the negative list, these are probably the ones you think of more when you think of conviction, like arguing, avoiding, getting angry, throwing out objections, negative attitude, denial. You know, we think, oh, they're under conviction. But these others are forms of conviction, too, on the positive side. They're happy. They're excited about what they're learning. They're sharing and telling everybody about it. They're putting things into practice that you're talking about. They're, they're crying tears of, of joy. They can't stay away from the meetings. They keep coming back, you know. They look forward to those Bible studies. They're becoming more friendly, and they're asking questions, and they're studying, and they're making changes, and they're experiencing peace. And these are all indications of conviction, too. So whether you're seeing positive ones or negative ones, it's all a fact that they're being convicted. Now, it's just they're responding differently. The ones on the positive are responding to that conviction. They're responding to the Lord's prompting. The ones on the negative side are feeling the same conviction, but they're not recognizing it as the Lord speaking to them. And they're trying to avoid the conviction by usually avoiding the thing that's making them uncomfortable. So that's why avoidance, oftentimes when a person is feeling conviction and they don't want to make that change, they will avoid um, or become angry with the person who shared that with them that made them feel uncomfortable. Okay, so I was just fine, I was just happy, then I started coming to these meetings and I heard this thing and now I'm, I'm all upset inside and I'm, my stomach is all upset and my family is now giving me a hard time and, and it's that pastor's fault, you know. <laughs> yeah, shoot the messenger. <laughs> and so they avoid, they avoid that. They don't realize though that it's the Spirit of God that is actually the one speaking to them. And so when a person is experiencing these negative indicators, it's important to, to talk with them and help them to realize that this wasn't the speaker. This is God's Spirit speaking to you. That when we feel that uncomfortableness inside, that's the indication God is talking to us. Now there's some other indicators of conviction. These are when people make comments like, so I don't know if my boss is going to let me off of work. That's a person who's feeling convicted that they need to stop working on Sabbath. I wonder if, they, if I'd lose my job if I asked for Sabbath off. Um, what would I do all day Saturday? 
Okay, that's a good question. Mm -hmm. But it's, um, they're asking for information, but they're also indicating that they're feeling some conviction. I should keep Saturday, and I don't know what I would do on Sabbath. Can I do such and such on Sabbath? Um, when are your church services? That's a sign of conviction. I wonder what my friends and family are going to think. Um, all of these are in, so start noticing what people are saying to you because you'll know where they're at in this process of making decisions. Would I have to quit smoking or wearing jewelry? How long does it take to prepare for baptism? What does a person have to do to be baptized? I wish my husband were more agreeable to my becoming an Adventist. I have some tithe I would like to give you. These are all um, things people can say that are indicating they're convicted. When a person is convicted, it's time to ask for a decision. When persons who are under conviction are not brought to make a decision at the earliest period possible, there's danger the conviction will gradually wear away. And you've probably experienced that. When we don't follow through with a conviction, it goes away. We kind of silence that voice of conviction. I'm going to just read you one more in this list of quotes, um, and it has to do with camp meetings, so this is kind of appropriate. It's as much as our duty to look at the after interests of a camp meeting as it is to look at the present interests, because the t next time you go, if, you, if they were impressed and convicted and did not yield to the conviction, it's harder to make an impression on their minds than it was before, and you can't reach them again. So take that to heart yourself. If you've been convicted this week at camp meeting about something, follow through with it because next year you might not get convicted about that again. You know, it's how it works. So once a person is convicted, the next step is desire, which is building that uh, desire to help them sort through all these feelings, these conflicting feelings they're having and, and knowing what they should do and, and how to deal with it. By presenting the benefits of what doing right, the consequences of wrongdoing, and the influence an action will have on others, desire is heightened. Throughout the Bible, God himself presents the joy of heaven and his own love as a powerful motive to heighten our desires. So on your little handout, under desire, it says, has enough desire been created to move them from what they know they ought to do to what they want to do, okay? So conviction is when they come to the conclusion of what they ought to do. But you can know what you ought to do and not actually have the desire. So you know, like, I ought to lose some weight or I ought to eat more vegetables or I ought to go to bed at an earlier time at night. <laughs> you know, there's all these things you know that you ought to do, but to desire to actually want to do it is where desire comes in. So I'm going to do a little activity here real quick. And I need, um, let me grab my papers. I need a couple volunteers. I'm going to be a narrator. I need someone who would like to be a Bible study interest and someone who would like to be the Bible worker. And I've got several here, so I'm gonna be using several. So just raise your hand, okay. And someone else over here? You're just reading a script, so it's very simple. <laughs> Not hard at all. <laughs> yeah, all you have to do is, is read a little script. Okay, so in this first scenario I have given you, this one is called um, 
the benefits of inner peace as opposed to turmoil. Is that the same one you got? Okay. So we are using um, the one that's listed on your card, been the very first one, the benefit of doing right when you have inner peace. So in this scenario, um, we're looking at this benefit. So our Bible study interest, um, why don't you read, read the little paragraph that says right underneath Bible study interest. And I'm going to have you be the Bible worker and you're going to be the interest. Okay? So read that little paragraph right there. It says, you agree that the Bible is Sabbath? You agree that the Bible is Sabbath, it is indeed true that you are struggling over because you have Sabbath work problems. You are concerned about providing financially for your family. You are also concerned about your, how your wife is going to react if you keep the Sabbath and possibly lose your job. So you are hesitant. Okay, so this is a scenario. This is the situation he's in. And Olson um, is his, the one doing the Bible studies with him. And this is how he's going to respond. Do you believe that according to the Bible, the Sabbath is on Saturday and we are to rest from work on that day? Yes. Okay, keep going. Yeah. We have talked to about the fact that the Sabbath is going to be the final test of loyalty and commitment in the end time. I know you want to be on God's side and to be loyal to Him, don't you? Yes, I do. John, we've discussed uh, two major problems you are facing, but I mean disapproval and the possibility that you might lose your job if you keep your father. These are producing some anxiety for you, I mean, basis. They sure are. I don't know what to do. I believe Saturday is the Sabbath, but this Sabbath issue is creating a lot of stress in my home right now. Okay, so right now, for what we've heard them discussing right now, he has enough information, right? He knows what day is the Sabbath. He knows he's supposed to. He's feeling conviction, too, okay? So it's not a problem of information. It's not a problem of conviction. The problem is desire, okay? So what, how's the Bible worker going to help him? I'd like to share with you two Bible texts. Uh, John 14, verse 27. And just read those. Peace I live with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives you. Give. Do I give to you? Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And Psalm 119, verse 165, Great peace are those who know your love, who love your love, and nothing causes them to stumble. Uh -huh. you, are you have described to me the conflict you are experiencing at home as well as the inner conflict you feel regarding the Sabbath. You can walk away from the Bible truth regarding the Sabbath. It would resolve your Sabbath problem and the tension you are experiencing at home. But since you know what God has told us to do, it will not resolve this one thing. The period of conflict within you. You would uh, forfeit the peace that God wants to give you that only comes when we surrender and obey Him. It is, it is always better to do what we know is right and to have peace within and conflict without that to have peace with our own conflict with him. If you choose to go forward in faith to keep the Bible Sabbath, God can work this out and you will also have the peace of knowing you have pleased God. Why don't we pray right now, John, and tell Christ that you want his peace in your heart that comes when you please him? <laughs> okay, so do you see that? Help him to understand that you want peace and peace doesn't come from avoiding what you're feeling convicted about. Peace comes by surrendering to God, doing what is right, and letting God work out the details 
of that situation. Okay? So this is using the um, scenario of finding peace. Okay, now who would like to do another one? This one's short. <laughs> All right, lady right behind you. Okay, this one is dealing with the benefit of receiving the Holy Spirit. In this scenario, we're going to see how the benefit of receiving the Holy Spirit can lead a person to desire the change. So Bible study interest is the lady in purple. And tell us a little bit about yourself. You consider yourself a born again spiritual Christian and attend the charismatic church. You talk often about the importance of having the Holy Spirit. Now you are struggling because you have learned what the Bible says about unclean things and you love ham sandwiches. <laughs> okay. So Pentecostal ham sandwich lover. All right. All right, Sarah, what can you do to help our dear lady? Let me share two scriptures with you. Acts 5.32 says, And we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. In John 14.15 and 16, it says, If you love me, you keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he'll give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. His Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I know you want to be completely filled with the Holy Spirit, and these scriptures that we just read tell us that the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey God's commandments. By choosing to give up pork, you're going to be obeying God's command, and he promises that this will open up a channel for his Holy Spirit to completely fill your life in a way more fully than you have ever experienced before. The Spirit does not fill some people to a greater degree and others to a lesser degree because of partiality on the part of the Spirit. But some people come with pint containers, and some with a quart, some with a gallon, and some come with a swimming pool. The larger your commitment and the more complete your obedience, the more capable the Holy Spirit is of filling you. Do you want to be totally filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you want to tell Jesus you are willing to set aside anything that could prevent the Holy Spirit from having full control in your life? Yes, I do. The work is not as important as having the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray about it. Okay. So we're, we're reaching her, and she, because she's a Pentecostal, Holy Spirit is already very important, something she talks about a lot. So this appeal is going to resonate with her because... She doesn't want anything to prevent the Holy Spirit in her life, right? Mm -hmm. And when she sees that this issue that she's struggling with could be a barrier to the Holy Spirit working in her life in a greater way, that is enough desire to put that thing aside. Okay? All right, I think I've got another one. This is a, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Because I need some help. Okay. I have a neighbor that uh, I invited to go to the uh, Unlocked Revelation series with me. And she says, yeah, I'd like to do that. And the way that got started, uh, I asked her one time, um, do you like uh, to read about, do you like Revelation or something mm -hmm. like that? And she says, yeah, I'm really interested. Are you going to do something like that here in your home? And I said, no, but anyway. So anyway, she went to one meeting with me. And... Um, uh, the next week, she didn't, or the next 
time, she didn't go with me because uh, somebody had called her and asked, asked her to take him someplace. Anyway, uh, she says, I just had uh, cancer of the breast, and I've had that treated, and all this sort of thing, and I don't want to be burdened with, I don't want to be unhappy right now. Mm -hmm. And I, and so she says, I don't think I'm going to go to any more meetings with you. And I says, well, okay. But, in the background, her husband is a very devout Catholic. She raised her son Catholic, and she goes to a Protestant church. And uh, she says, well, I just don't think you need to uh, pray to priests. How do I start? Mm -hmm. How do I bring this up again without infringing? Uh, uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, she um, she's afraid that the, the prophecy meeting, something she heard made her feel negative, okay? Um, not that it was negative or the speaker said anything negative, but her frame of mind was um, a fearful that, oh, this is negative stuff and it's going to make me feel bad and that's I don't need to have my mind on that kind of thing right now. So you... Um, need to approach it by providing her something that she would find positive, okay? So offering um, a Bible study that would give her something that would bring her hope, something like on the soon coming of Jesus and how, you know, pain and suffering and all those things are going to be wiped away and families reunited and, you know, like all these things that would be very positive things would be something then that she would find as a blessing and an encouragement to her. And then from there, you can move um, through some Bible studies that are leading to things that she can agree with that she will see as um, a benefit. So that's kind of what these creating desire, what right now we're looking at the things that are um, building benefits for them. When they see that following Jesus and doing this is going to provide a blessing for them that they're missing out on right now, that can be the thing that would motivate them to actually want to make that change. So... I would just take um, a different approach of sharing something with her that you think she would find to be a blessing and a positive thing for where she's at in her life right now. And being her friend, you might be able to know that better than... That she has a problem, it bothers her, the concept of praying to a priest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and it bothers her too. She doesn't pray to the priest. Her husband does. Mm -hmm. Okay. But... Um, she uh, doesn't go, she maybe goes to church with him once a year, uh, like at Christmas or something. Mm -hmm. Okay, but in other words, she's bothered by the, by what information regarding praying to priests. You say she goes to a Protestant church, mm -hmm. and she's thinking these meetings are encouraging her to pray to a Catholic priest? No, that's just another topic. The first meeting with me, mm -hmm. and she thought, I don't want to hear about revelations and, and all the strife. Oh, mm -hmm. Strife okay. is not the word she used, but yeah. it's going to In other words, any kind of conflict. Mm -hmm. And many I times. Think that's a prejudice most people have about um, revelation, because I was on my Facebook and it mentioned about um, mm -hmm. revelation, and on Craigslist, they have a religious blog there. 
And many of the responses of Revelation was doom and gloom. Mm -hmm. And so I can see why at the first meeting she was probably like, no, I, I, I don't want this negative. Even though and, she didn't hear it, but she already had that prejudice. Right. And so taking, uh, and I had a lady I did Bible studies with who was like that. She was a very fearful type of person, and prophecy she thought was scary. You know, and she didn't want anything scary. Um, so we just took a totally different approach. We we did some Bible studies that weren't on prophecy at all at first. <laughs> you know, like you can, in time you start to weave it in, but by then they've seen more of the beauty of Scripture, more of the the positive things. And so, you know, things like she, prayer, you know, you could do a Bible study with her on um, some principles on prayer, how to know God's will, and, you know, these the kind of things that would be something that could resonate with where she's at right now, and then guiding her and opening the door for other further Bible studies. Going back to the Sabbath, I have a friend I've been doing Bible studies with, Catholic background, her family's totally devout Catholic. And it's this huge family day. I mean, aunts, uncles, the whole enchilada gets together. Mm -hmm. And she she accepts the Bible truth that yes, Saturday is the Sabbath, but you know she's like, well, you know, what am I going to do with my family? Mm -hmm. So how you know, how can you bring that? She knows she needs to do it. Yeah. So I would probably. Um, First of all, acknowledge that the Sabbath is a day for building the family, okay? So you can begin where she's at, not with, because in many ways, Sabbath is a day that we are to strengthen our relationships and connecting the Sabbath with the family, I think, is a place to begin. Um, but we also have to um, follow what the Bible teaches, and we can want to reach our families we reach our families by um, taking a stand for Jesus, too. So you, to keep the Sabbath doesn't mean you have to divorce yourself from your family. <laughs> There's a way to do both, you know? Help her to find a practical way to accomplish both, where she can observe the Sabbath, but also be able to have some of that family time so she can continue to build those relationships and reach her family. So, so does... When she talks about family, is it the culture of we all get together and we all have food and we all talk about our it's stuff? We all go to church together. Yeah. Then we all have lunch together yeah. and spend the whole day together. Uh -huh. I mean, it's, it's, everybody works on Saturday. Uh -huh. To start with, the key is to start observing the Sabbath and then wean off the other, you know. But start first taking that step to follow what God does say about the Sabbath. So building desire is helping them, the first way is helping them to see the benefits of doing what is right. And we've talked about inner peace, talked about the Holy Spirit. Um, there's the benefit of true happiness and joy that comes when we do what is right. And I wish we had time to do all these little scenarios I have here, but I don't think we're going to have time. You can, um, Persuasion mentions some of these in story format. Um, the benefit of the hope of eternal life that we are going to receive when we follow him. Jesus said that in this life, he told Peter this, he said, in this life, you, um, you will, when you follow me, you'll gain in this life, but even more in the life to come, right? So Jesus used this benefit of eternal life as a motivation 
to follow. Now, it's not the only motivation, but it is, a, it is one motivation. And for some people, that can be very powerful. There's the benefit of peace and freedom from guilt and all those things you've done in the past. And then the appeal of the majority, a fellowship. The most of the universe is loyal to God. In this world, it's, you may feel like you're the only one following the Lord. But compared to the angels and, etern- and um, the, all the hosts of the universe, God's side is the majority. So in addition to heightening desire through benefits, there's also the consequences of doing wrong. And I'm going to share with you um, an example of this. There are different passages in the scripture that talk about the danger of putting off conviction, right? The danger of rejecting the Holy Spirit, the danger that you'll come to believe lies, that light is going to be removed, um, and the consequences of wrongdoing, while it's not my favorite way to persuade people, it can be effective at times. <laughs> and I had an experience um, not that many months ago where I had a lady who was wanting to prepare for baptism, but she has this relationship with this man in her life, and I, I sensed it wasn't a proper relationship, you know? But she could be my grandmother, you know. So it's kind of awkward to talk to somebody that's that much older than you about their sexuality, you know. It's like that's the kind of thing you don't want to really talk about. But when you're helping somebody get ready for baptism and to make a life commitment to the Lord, you have to talk about these things, right? And we actually ended up doing a Bible study on marriage and the family, and I was able to bring some of those things up there. And... uh, She's the one lady who likes information, but she doesn't like to feel conviction. And she, um, I could tell she was uncomfortable, you know, and she was like running the, she acted like she wanted the Bible study to end. And I was like, okay, Lord, what do I do next time? So several months later, um, the Lord directed me a different approach to work with her. Um, she was very interested in the temple and Israel. She's Jewish background. So what's happening with the temple is of, of key interest to her. So we kind of did this Bible study about the temple and the sanctuary in the New Testament. And I was able to look at lots of different passages, but moved it to the verses that talk about our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Now the context in which those verses is found is in the context of purity and sexuality, isn't it? Um, you look at those passages in Corinthians, it's about our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. We're not to defile it, and we're to keep it pure. And so I was like, Lord, this is another way to get to the same topic again in a way she's not going to see it coming. <laughs> and, and I just prayed, and I prayed, and, and the Lord really, really did bless, because as we were studying this and looking at these verses, and when then we read those, she's like, you could tell she was under conviction so much. She knew what, I, what we were talking about. She knew what it was applying to her. She's like, you're talking about my relationship with. And uh, I said, well, this is what the Bible is saying here. And, and then I just started to appeal. And I appealed from the consequences of wrongdoing. Her fear is that if she takes a stand on this topic, that it's going to affect her relationship with him. And she wants him to become a believer. He's Jewish and he's not a believer in Christ. And she's afraid of, of um, jeopardizing that, okay? But I said to her, 
that's what your fear is, but think of the opposite, that when you're doing what is wrong in God's sight, not only are you walking in sin, you're leading him that way too, you know? And you're both of your, your salvation is in jeopardy right now. And you're wanting so much for him to be saved, you can't be going down a path that doesn't lead to salvation and hoping that you both be saved, you know? Um, and I talked about the danger of this conviction she's felt, but she's been putting this off. And she was very moved um, and very appreciative. Now, she hasn't made tons of changes yet, but I did feel like I was able to help her come to a point of conviction and help her to see the danger of the position she was in. And sometimes we have to do that. And it, I have to tell you, these are the hardest Bible studies to give because you're thinking, I'm making them uncomfortable. <laughs> and you, no one likes to put another person in an uncomfortable place. But I have seen so many powerful experiences where when they feel that conviction, you're calling them to make a decision, they're wrestling, and they surrender to the Lord. They feel so much peace afterwards, and it's so beautiful. And it is so worth it. And often, you know what I will tell them? I really don't want to have to say this right now. I really don't. I, I wish I didn't even have to bring this up. I'd rather not even have to talk about it, you know? Um, I hate putting you in a position where you feel uncomfortable. I'm feeling uncomfortable. This is really hard for me to do. But the only reason I'm doing it is because I really care about you. And I care about your salvation. I care about your walk with God. And I want you to be following his word. And this is what his word is saying. And when they realize you really care, it makes a difference. So the consequences are wrongdoing. There's also the um, way you can heighten desire through influence. I'm not going to have time to go through that one. The fourth level in this process of making decision is calling for action. This is when you're asking them to actually make a decision. So look at your card here again. Have I asked for a decision? This is now you, you have enough information. You know they're convicted. You've helped them to see, uh, to build desire by helping them see the benefits of what's right the consequences of doing what's wrong, how their decision is going to influence somebody else positively, and now it's time to ask for a decision. So be, um, be specific about the decision you're asking for. Would you like to accept Jesus' offer of salvation, eternal life, right now? Would you like to kneel together and tell God you're thankful the Sabbath is on Saturday or that he's coming again? It's a specific question. Would anything hinder you from being baptized? Now, I'm going to just um, jump ahead here real quick, just for sake of time. There are, I'm just going to hit a couple high points here at the end. There are seven major doctrines a person has to make a decision on to become a Seventh-day Adventist. One is the inspiration of the Bible. One is the second coming, the law and Sabbath, our bodies and unclean foods and smoking, tobacco, all of those related things, stay the dead baptism and remnant church connected with it. These are the main points that you're going to be calling them to make a decision on. I don't know if I included that in yours or not. It may not be in it. Okay. So ask questions that could determine what might be hindering them from making the decision. Now on the back side of this card, 
you have a list of some of those things that could be hindering them. These are some of the fears, some of the objections, some of the excuses that sometimes people will make when they're feeling conviction. Ones like, I might lose my job if I keep the Sabbath, or my family's opposing it, or I'll just put it off later, or whatever. The power in answering objections and fears and excuses is the Bible. And I hope you saw in those little illustrations and role plays that we did that when a person was struggling in an area, the Bible worker first went and shared some scriptures with them. That's because the power to change doesn't come from us. It comes from the Word of God. Only God's Word can create that desire in our heart and that strength to do what is right. So when a person is struggling with uh, something or they're they're feeling conviction, but they've got, they're making some objections or excuses. Don't get into an argument with them. Don't give them your opinion. Go take them to some Bible verses. So keep this little card in your Bible. And if they ask a question or make a comment, say, let's go look at a couple passages of Scripture. And go look them up and let the Bible speak for itself. And it, that word will bring the conviction that you never, ever could and help address some of these things. So this is a really great little resource to have for dealing with um, those objections and fears that people have. And that's um, in the Section 5 is where it talks about the powerful agent of the Word of God for helping. And the last thing I want to um, mention as before we close here is under, it's on page nine, make every appeal focus on Jesus. Jesus is the greatest motivator for making a decision. If a person is a believer and has a relationship with Christ, this is the greatest motivator you can use. So in your Bible studies, develop a deep love for Jesus in the hearts of those you're studying with and present the testing truths as being very important to Jesus, emphasizing that Jesus expects them to accept and act on these truths. Show that to resist the truth is not to resist a doctrine, but to resist Jesus, the author of the doctrine. This is the appeal of Jesus, the significant other, but it's everything in the context of their relationship with Christ. So if Christ was right here, in this room right now, and he was asking you to remember the day that he's the Lord of, and the day that he created, how would you respond to him? That's what you want them to be thinking, because that's really what's happening, right? It's really the Lord who is asking them this. How, do you, how would you want to respond to the Lord? If the Lord was in your situation, what would he do? And don't you think that he would help you to do that as well? So pointing them to Christ. Get their eyes off the situation, off the thing that's worrying them, off the, the conflict that they have, or the family issue, or the job, or whatever it is, point their eyes to Christ and help them to see that the Lord will work with them through this and gain them the victory. And that is um, very powerful. I hope this has been helpful for you. Lots of extra material in there. Take home and, and look at. The other less handout I didn't go through, but this little one with the boxes next to it, A Christian Confession of Faith, is basically just a review sheet of all the Bible doctrines that you could take a person through as you're preparing them for baptism. And you would go through each point,
look up those scriptures. It's reviewing the key points that you've covered in your Bible studies, and it's helping to clear them so that um, you can schedule that date for baptism. Sometimes I will just have them go through this on their own first and check the ones that they understand and that they're clear on and the others that they aren't, study those ones out more. So it can just be a helpful little tool for helping people come to decisions. All right, well, let's pray as we close. Dear God, thank you for our study time today about gaining decisions. I pray that you would give us wisdom, Lord, because this is a science of how to work with the human mind, to lead it to make the right decisions for you. Lord, I know that we might be feeling conviction in our own life on some area. I pray that you would help us to deepen that conviction through your word. Give us the desire, Lord, to follow you and to make whatever changes are necessary and to have that action in our life. And I pray we can do this, Lord, for others that we are working with. I know you will teach us, and we ask, Lord, that you would, that people would be in your kingdom because of the work that these men and women of God are going to do for you with your help. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.